You're listening to Tiger's Eye. Episode 7. It is today. We take shelter in a small, dry cave, previously occupied by a Megastotherium. Miguel comes down off my back and looks at me with concern. I try to explain the best I can. I point to him and then to me. Sign for walking, sign for waterfall, sign for door. I pause then indicate someone walking behind us. Miguel points to the paw I performed this last move with and signs for question. Then he splays three pads out on each of his hands and draws them across his cheeks. I stare at him. He touches my whiskers, then repeats. He means a cat. I give him the thumbs up. He gives the question sign again. And I point to myself, then to my armlet, then do the sign for fire talker. He gives the question again. I sigh, sign fire talker again, run a claw across my throat, and point at him. Question again. I consider this. I sign Fire Talker, Miguel. I tap at my own head. Then I rear up and look as fierce and terrifying as I can without actually roaring. He jumps back and squeaks. I drop the terror act and hold out both paws, velveted, to calm him. I repeat Fire Talker thinks you. Oh, yes. He nods in understanding, then points to himself shakes his head and imitates my fearsome display. I ponder this, then look him up and down. He has to be able to fight. I think this means I can teach him Tai Yar. At least the basics. I point to him, then my eyes, then myself. Then I assume a low fighting stance. He shakily copies me, spreading his pads out like clawed paws, lowering a center of gravity and bending those awkward forward-facing knees. I nudge him with a paw and he goes over. He gets back up, frowning, and tries again. Once again, he is easy to push over. We try and try until... After much repetition, I'm about to nudge him, and he springs over my paw. (laughs) I catch him easily, but I'm pleased and surprised at his improvisation. We try again, but this time he springs up my arm. (laughs) I have to grab him with my other paw. I hold out my arm, 
show him my sharp claws extended and my running them over the muscle. Then I point to him. He obediently makes to scratch at me. <laughs> His claws are comically short and blunt. I mime biting and point to the arm again. He'll say yes. Okay. I can feel his teeth nip at me. For a moment, I am elsewhere. No good, though. I doubt he could really tear through the flesh. He has very little power. Nothing sharp on his body and seems to have no knowledge of the weak spots to go for. He needs a weapon. I search the cave and find skeletal remains in a corner. Retrieving a small bone, I crouch down next to Miguel and pull out my knife. I hold it up before his face, next to the bone, then put the knife away and hand him his new practicing tool. He makes a few jabbing motions with it, so at least he is familiar with the concept. I take it off him easily, and then gently hold it to his throat, tapping the flat against the vein within. Then I hand it back and assume my fighting stance again, patting my arm encouragingly. He scales it, using the bracer as a foothold, and within a short while has the bone to my throat. It was far too slow a series of movements to be effective, but at least he has the process covered. We practice that for some time until he is springing with confidence. I begin to show him my response to attack, arcing and swiveling my body away from dangerous blows, dancing around my opponent until I sense an opening, then delivering my powerful attacks in very swift, short, economical succession, disarming, disabling, and, if it is a serious fight, destroying. I snap several of the available bones in half, picking the two with the longest, sharpest points. Luckily for us both, they are still supple and strong, and they will serve as makeshift weapons until I can craft better ones. I present them to him and fashion him a harness for them, using a strip from my armor. When I awaken with a start, he is still there. He runs his fingers over his face, then points to his neck, and assumes his fighting stance with the knives up and ready. Okay. On the one paw, he has almost no chance against Taka one-on-one, if it comes to that. Though I have hopefully raised that chance from none to slim. On the other, again, I am filled with fear for my family, should their shaman not return on account of my actions. Am I being selfish? Taking the tribe, and indeed the world and setting it against this strange cub. I remind myself that my goal is to get rid of him for the betterment of everyone, and teaching him to take care of himself is downright essential. We eat and drink a little, and begin the fighting practice again. I point out the other weak spots on my body. The artery in the leg, the tendons at the knees and elbows, the eyes. I stop at the heart. There is no way someone of his diminutive size could get through to that. When we are done, he signs, thank you, at me, but also says some words at the same time. He repeats, then does the same without signing. 
He repeats a third time, and I sign thank you back at him. Si. Thank you. He nods. I try to form the words, but my mouth feels clumsy with this tongue. I tell him my word of thank you. He makes a growling sound in return. Uh, it is close enough. We proceed out into the forest. My plan is that rather than following the river, which gives Haka a set line to travel in order to engage us, we will zigzag back and forth across it in wide arcs, following it upstream until we come to this waterfall, thus ensuring I don't get lost and minimizing the likelihood of crossing the shaman's path. We experiment with more foods. King Tukan he enjoys. Ryler berries give him nightmarish diarrhea. I carefully note this and stay away from fruits of similar properties. We craft and share more new words with each other. The help sign becomes laying one open paw on the other, crossed and pads up. Food is still simply pointing at one's mouth. Drink is mumming a canteen. Listen is holding a paw up to the right ear. Smell is touching one's nose. Look is two pads pointed to your eyes and then at what's to be looked at. In response to his cat sign with whiskers, I create one for the creature he is. There are many names I consider applying to his kind in my own tongue. Roundheads, no-tails, furless. However, I ultimately settle on straight legs. I indicate this to him by drawing myself up to my full height and walking around a little awkwardly. No wonder they are so easy to push over. Thus the sign becomes a pad drawn in a swift line from the hip to the knee. I make him two much stronger knives of bone. It is while I am watching the cub jab and slice at the air that I realize we can do things to give him a little more advantage in battle. He doesn't have the power and is so very fragile that it won't take any time at all to bring the poor thing down so he needs better defenses and attacks that require more subtlety than power. We find a little snake rat, and I gesture to him to stay back. I dart in and grasp it by the scruff of its neck. Instantly, it whirls and bares its fangs. Using an old medicine vial, I milk it of venom, making the various steps visibly clear to Miguel. When it is done, I toss the snake rat away unharmed and hold up the vial. Miguel gives me the thumbs up and passes me one of his knives. Smart cub. I let the tiniest drop fall on the point and we go hunting. We find a quagga and I sneak in, first high and then low, as this is not about a powerful strike. Miguel clasps his paws around my shoulder as we move closer. The quagga stirs and in a moment will react, kicking out with those muscular striped legs. I jab him in the neck not too deep or close to an artery, and he whinnies as I spring away and alight the nearest tree. The quagga meanders for a short while, then stumbles, dizzy. He turns several circles and lowers his frame to the ground. We move in. Miguel makes the question sign, and then points to the vial of venom, then draws a pad across his throat and lets his head loll, his eyes staring. The effect is unnerving. Is it dead? 
I shake my head in response and fold my arm under my head with my eyes shut, indicating sleep. Not a very honorable victory, and not a method I would use, but for someone of Miguel's size, a life-saving tactic. We search for more snake rats in the vicinity, until Miguel has three vials full. I don't want to let him attempt the extraction, a full-on bite from one of those things on a creature his size, well, he may never wake up. I will have to craft him some gloves to protect those delicate little paws from accidental bites. For now, I craft him a bracer from more of my armor, which is becoming patch-worn with all these sections I keep removing for him. Inside a reinforced pocket, we slide these vials. Miguel takes the bracer gratefully and holds out his paw for the needle and cord. I hand them over, and he takes his work away. I keep one eye on the prone form of the quagga. Eventually it stirs and groggily stands, tottering off into the forest. I could have killed it for meat, but we don't need that much. Though, if I had a tanning house available, I could certainly have used the leather. Miguel eventually returns, holding up his bracer to display a hard, ridged bone he has fixed to the top. The work is crude, but this should offer him some extra defense if he is reduced to close quarters. Then I spot some additional fastenings and make the question sign. Taking up his knives, he proudly secures them to this armor so that they extend on either side of his right paw. He then flexes and waggles his pads and makes punching motions. He now has both paws free, along with two sharp claws. Miguel nods and pats the bracer, then assumes the low, curving serpent stance. Okay. He then waves his pad, beckoning me in. I glance at the knives, unsure as to whether he has applied any of the snake rat venom. He is dangerous for the first time. If I decline this challenge to spar with him, I am cutting off his training at this crucial point. Then again, if he can overcome me and I pass out, he will be unprotected as I sleep off the effects. And again, if he is capable of doing that, I need worry about him less. I decide to be hard on the cub. He needs to know that even though he now has a powerful sting, it will not save his life if his reactions are too slow. I dart in and firmly sweep him over onto his back. He yelps from his messy heap on the ground and tries to suppress embarrassment and disappointment. I inspect my arm and point to a small, fresh wound. No dizziness. However, the cut is deep enough that if he had coated his blade, I would be feeling its effects by now. I give him a thumbs up. A little flicker of pride passes between us. A lesson, both unsettling and faintly hopeful, has been learned. He gets back up to try again. It is late in the evening, and we are nearing the river again. We are now, in fact, close to the hunting grounds where I recovered Miguel in the first place. I am considering pushing through in daylight hours and sleeping at night in order to cover the most ground 
while our pursuer sleeps. Of course, that means I will always be at a physical disadvantage, and it increases the risk of us being snuck up on whilst he is in his prime state of awakening. Miguel has taken to walking alongside me. He attempts to spring in the same manner I do, but overcompensates and lacks the poise and finesse of a cat. I have to keep picking him up to take the larger leaps, but it makes sense to keep his body active and not let him become a lazy and atrophied thing to be carried at all times. I worry too much. He has developed good survival abilities. Haka may indeed be far behind us. The jungle is too vast for him to track two animals across Rama. Besides which, I am the hunter. He has pitted himself against an expert. Something draws my gaze up towards the canopy, falling languidly upon a potu high above us. It stares down, and its immense golden yellow eyes narrow. The world stands still. I know exactly who I am looking at. Then the bird shakes itself and stares about dumbly. All semblance of intelligence suddenly evaporated. I cock my head and listen. There is a rumbling. Behind us, the jungle explodes as a stampede of ibex, each sporting the same fierce gold eyes, burst forth from the undergrowth, careening towards Miguel, who gasps in fright. Their hooves pound the floor, their horns lower in a unified charge. We are exposed. He has found us. listening to Tiger's Eye, written, edited, and produced by Alex Shaw, with a full cast. Presenter, Loretta Saylor. Rao, performed by Maureen Foley. Miguel, performed by Alex Shaw. I also did the voice of the snake rant. Yeah, sorry about that, it's kind of like a differently evolved mongoose, and if you ever have the misfortune to hear a mongoose, they sound like the most horrible creatures ever. So it is at least accurate. The main theme is Agent in Shanghai by 1M1 Music, courtesy of Shockwave Sounds. You also heard Sardana, Stormfront, and Whimsy Groove, performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. Our special sponsors this month were Nick Grugan, Joel Robinson, Russell Osborne, Maureen Foley, Ben Hayes, Stefan Gardinia, Kieran Datchler, Lorraine Chisham, Livio De La Cruz, Scott Corzine and Erish Travers. And to everyone else who has been supporting us on the Patreon, a big thank you. Come to the Digital Drift Forum to discuss these shows with the fan base. 
or you can post messages directly on the Patreon feed. If you aren't able to support New Century with your dollars, then there are, of course, other ways you can help it grow. And those are four or five star iTunes reviews. And if you can, make the time to say a few kind words in a review. That all helps the show gain visibility, and it gets it into the ears of new listeners. Thank you all for your support. Those of us in the RSA really appreciate it. <laughs>